Well, greetings. It's day five of COVID isolation, and today has not been a good day, so I don't know how much strength I'll have for this. I'll go as long as I can. So opening prayers, we get ready for Hebrews 1. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Give us an opportunity to teach. Let your spirit give us what we need to learn from all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in times past with the fathers by the prophets, hath in these days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, You are my son, this day have I begotten you, and again in him, again I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. And again when the, he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he said, And let all the angels of God worship him. And the angels, and, to, and of the angels, he said, Who makes his angels spirits and ministers of flame of fire? Okay, so we're going to look at this. It starts out with the writer, which, you know, I'm going to keep falling back to Paul. Uh, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in the past unto the fathers by the prophets. God spoke over and over again to his people through the prophets, through the teachers. And it's kind of interesting that this writer says the prophets. He's not going to the Pentateuch, which is what most of the Jews would have wanted to look at. And because remember, the Jews all believe in the Pentateuch, but not all of them believe in the prophets as being places to look at, and yet the prophets speak of Jesus all over the place, and so does the Pentateuch, but he's going to look at being able to bring all of this around to finding them. Many ways, many manners, God spoke to his people and tried to show them what was coming, showed them their love, that he's love for them, and showed them that the Son was coming through the Messiah, and yet the Jewish people never accepted Jesus as a whole as Messiah because he did not come the way they expected him. They expected the Messiah to come as a victorious ruling king that would be able to control all things and have Jerusalem be the center of world authority, which is coming, but has not yet been fulfilled. They did not see the long gap between the Messiah's coming and dying for us and him coming in next time as the lion. And this is what's coming. The next time Jesus comes, he is not the sacrificial lamb. He is the lion of Judah to rule and manage everything. And then it says, He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he hath made, also made the world. And this is really going in, starting to talk about the preeminence of Jesus. He goes, Right off the bat, it's, it's moving forward. It says, in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now, it's kind of interesting that the apostles all believed that they were in the last days. They, Jesus, they saw Jesus being taken away from them. He said, I will be 
I will return shortly. And so all of this happens, and, and they expected Jesus to return shortly in their lifetime. They did not expect the long delay that was happening. And by this point, we're already 40 years out of, from, or just shy of 40 years out of, of, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And they're thinking it's got to come soon. It's got to come soon. And here is the, going to be the case that Jesus is the Messiah. And it says, By whom he appointed heir of all things, whom he appointed heir of all things. So Jesus is the heir of all. God created the heavens and the earth, and Jesus is the one that's going to get and receive all of it. And we are the bride of Christ, which means that we are also going to receive our inheritance in, as children of God. And it says, "Whom also he made, by whom also he made the worlds." This is something that's beautiful. That Jesus is the Word. In Genesis one, God said each, over each time, and He spoke. He said. He said. The only thing that was not created by being spoken into existence was man himself. When God gathered up dust, formed a man, and breathed life into him. Everything else was spoken into existence. Man is special. In all of creation, man is special because God took and did a hands-on work with, with man. And all this was done by Jesus. In 1 John, we're told that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And without him, there was nothing created. So Jesus is the word. He is the one that creates out of nothing. Verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory, the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he hath made himself purged our, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Father and of the majesty on high. So here we go. He's saying, And being the brightness of his glory. And which is, is another word for being. Brightness can mean either the reflection or the origin of. Jesus is both. He is the, the reflection of, but he's also the origin of light. He is, he is the uh, essence of the light. He is the light of God from before time, and he reflects the Father in all that he does so in, in his incarnation. He became man, and he reflects God in his man, but he was God before this happened, and he was always out there, and he reflects God completely in all that he does and, and works out for all that we have going on. And this is something that is so beautiful that he is going to work out. He's the expressed image of God. He's, he is not any other part. He is an image of God that... That, that looks at all that happens. And it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds, he keeps from falling apart. This world is in a sad state already because of the fall of man, but God still upholds all the things that are going on. He holds the very atoms together. The atoms should not exist the way it is, and science doesn't know what makes holds it together. They call it atomic force, uh, uh, and all kinds of things. But it's God holding it together in a supernatural way. And at some point after this millennial kingdom, he'll just let go, and everything will be dissolved and destroyed, so he can start 
a new world. And it says he upholds things by the power of his word. And word here is, is rhema. It's a living word. It's a powerful word. Uh, it is, and so it's rhema dunamis, the, the living word of God with his power. And we, we see that Jesus is that word. He speaks and things happen still to this day. When we, get, when we become a saved individual, we get to be a brand new creation creative word of rhema that says this is a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then he says, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. This is a beautiful picture of faith rest. Jesus said he finished the work and now he is seated next to the Father in his eternal throne that he had before the incarnation and he resumes it in our perfection. By, by his blood and for the mercy seat that which he placed on the mercy seat and in a victory over death and his resurrection which imputes us by the father accepts his finished work what a beautiful thing faith rest god is wanting us to all be able to rest this is one of the major themes of this this book the whole idea of faith rest and the finished work God has finished the work, and now he's just waiting for the end time to come. We have to see all of this that goes on, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. No longer striving, which he never strove anyway, but he's no longer working. He says, all the work is done. On the cross, he said, it is finished. Telestai, it, the debt is all paid, the transaction's all done. And now I can go sit at the right hand of my father and be able to wait for my bride to come. What a beautiful picture of God's work. And his goal for us is for us to stand in faith rest. Quit striving, quit trying so hard to do things because it is Jesus and the Holy Spirit that works in us to make the changes. And here we see this great picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Being so much being so much better than the angels, he hath by the inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And this is kind of an interesting thing. Jesus, it doesn't say that he had to earn it. He says he being made so much better than the angels. He hath an inheritance by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So here we're looking at how many different religions look at angels as being their most important thing. We've got angels that are given messages that aren't godly. We've got angels that are that are giving things so-called angels. They're they're demons. But over and over again, we're seeing the power of God being hidden there and angels usurping the position of God and Jesus has a name that's better than them because he is God he has not been created he has not been worked but he obeyed the father and now he rests in faith and is able to obtain a more excellent name his angels are below Jesus and if an angel ever tells us something that doesn't match the scripture then it's not an angel that we're to listen to and this is true, in no matter what religion it is, if they give something that is not biblical, they are not to be listened to. For unto which of the angels 
said he at any time, You are my son, this day I have ever gotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So again, the preeminence of Jesus. What was Satan's big downfall? He says, I will be like the Most High. I will sit on the mountain of the north. He wanted to be like God. He wanted a name that was not his. He was jealous of all that was going on. And we don't know exactly when this happened. It could be that you know, after the creation of man that he got really jealous. Uh, when man was created, they were going to be placed above the angels. And Satan did not like that position. And he decided he had a better way. And this is something we need to always be careful of. All of our desires and thoughts should be subjected to God and not looking at anything else because God is the one that is there for us. And then he says unto them, you know, you are my son this day, I have begotten you. And he said, they didn't say that to any of the angels. And this is so beautiful because here we're looking at Messianic Psalms that were going in. Psalm, Psalm 2 verse 7 says, you are my son. Uh, Psalm 89, 26 to 29 says, you're my son. First uh, Chronicles 17, 13 said, says that you are my son. And this is something that's important. And this is one of the things that even though the scriptures talked over and over, the Messiah being called the Son of God, the Jewish people, especially the scribes and Pharisees, just did not accept that because the very Shemil says that there is one God and one and one Lord. And, you know, the Lord our God is one. And we and they have trouble with this idea of parts of God. And yet in the very beginning of the scriptures, it says Elohim created created everything, and Elohim is the plural word for God, and it still refers to only one God. And we don't understand it until you understand the Trinity, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were all there in constant, forever unity. You know, God did not need to create man to get anything because he was in a perfect state with himself. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit communed with each other perfectly for all of eternity past, and then created man, for some strange reason created man, knowing that we were going to, die, going to fall, knowing that Jesus was going to have to come to this world, give up his life for mankind's sin, and then allow that forgiveness to come in. Why did God do that? It is hard to fathom. I can't understand it. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why. And yet, that is what happened. And then he says, you know, and again to, and I will be a father, and, and he will be unto me a son. So all of this stuff, God says, my son is special. My son is going to be special, protected. And so we, we're looking at what's going on through all of this time and effort. All right, and again, when he bringeth, bringeth in, the, in the first begotten of the world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. So here we have an interesting statement, you know, the first begotten. Jesus is the first begotten of God, and yet he is equal to God. And that's hard for us to really understand why any of this can happen. And yet, 
the angels were told to worship the, the son. This is one of the things that we saw even all through the gospel messages. Jesus would show up and the demon would go, what have I to do with you, you son of God? And they knew who he was. They did not doubt who he was. They understood that he was going to have reign over them. And yet they keep fighting against God to, to harm and, and, and fight against him. And we're told in Deuteronomy 32, 42, that Elohim, you translate Elohim to angels. Uh, Psalm 97, 7 says the same thing. Psalm 8, 5 says you, that he was made lower and to be crowned with glory and honor. Jesus took unto him the form of mankind. He was the first begotten of God in that he became man and was able to continue to be God as man. And God said to the angels, you will worship my son. And the son, they knew who he was. They had been in heaven with Jesus. This is hard for us to understand how the angels could have revolted against God when they were in his presence. They saw him. They saw everything they, that happened. And yet, because of the pride of Lucifer and a third of the angels, they rejected God. They did not want to live within the worship of the Son. And they did not want to see the created man that was so weak and so insignificant become higher than them. And this is something that is very hard to understand is why God allowed all this stuff. And yet he had a plan, what it was only he knows. And the angels and of the angels said, who makes his angels spirits and is ministering ministers of flame of fire. So here we see the angels job is to be ministers. They are to minister to God. We see that in, in Isaiah chapter 6, the seraphim are around the throne singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, O um, uh, Lord. And we see all of this going on. They are God's ministers, and they are ministers to his children. God sends the angels to help his children at times when they need big help or even small help. We have the angelic forces to help protect us. How many things have the angels taken in, in, in our walk with us so that we are protected without even knowing that, that we're protected because of the love of God that, that happens? Verse 7, and, the, and of the angels who makes his angel spirits and his minister of eight, excuse me, but unto the Son he, he said, Your throne, O God, is forever. And ever, a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even your God, hath appointed you, anointed you with the oil of gladness above the, your fellows. And you, Lord, in the beginning have made the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They that perish, they shall perish, but you remain. And they are all shall wax old as does a garment, and as a vesture shall thou shall you fold them up, and they shall be in changed. But you are the same, and your years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, "Sit on my right hand, 
until I make your enemies a footstool. Are they all, are they not all ministering spirits? Send forth the minister, send forth the minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So here we have the beautiful story of where the preeminence of Christ continued. It says, your throne, in verse 8, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. I love this. God's throne shall be forever. It does not end. It does not change. He will not be lost in all of this. He's, he's higher than all. His throne is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so righteousness is his power. He owns everything involved with this, and he's not going to be pulled back. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even your God, hath anointed you with the oil of gladness over your fellows. And this is one of these things that make it very hard for us to understand. Jesus, over and over again, shows us that he is God, and yet, we get this whole picture of the son being subjected to the father. And it says, you've loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That is God's standard right there. He loves righteousness and hates iniquity. If we could just start getting a picture of the awfulness of iniquity, the awfulness of sin, we would see things that are totally different and understand that we have problems before God. And we need to understand God hates iniquity. He loves righteousness. He does not have this idea of smaller sins and greater sins. They're all sins. He hates all iniquity. And this is what it says, you know, in Proverbs, it says, these things God hates, and he puts things in their lying lips and gossip. We need to be very careful how we, how we handle all this, because God hates what we would call little sins as much as the big sins. And he loves righteousness. And it says, my God, even my God, hath anointed you with the oil of gladness above all, above your fellows. So he is giving a gladness. He's anointed. He's anointed with gladness. He's anointed with joy. This is what God wants to do for us. He wants to give us the Holy Spirit and anointing of gladness and joy. He wants us to be sitting around hating sin and loving righteousness, but the hating of sin does not mean we attack the, the sinners. It means that we attack the sin the sinner does, not not the actual individual. And it says, and in and you, o, o, you, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. So again, we come back to Jesus is the creator. He is the word. He is, he was there from the beginning. You know, he was always there looking at what's going on. Jesus said, let us create man in our image. And he was not talking to the angels, according to this scriptures, as well as everywhere else. He's talking to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said, let us make man in our image. And so we have this whole beginning that in the beginning, Jesus laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. What a beautiful picture here. The, the the writer is saying Jesus is not just a big angel. He is not a 
created being. He is God. He was with God at the very beginning of all time. And being able to work with God from the very beginning laid the foundations of the world. What a beautiful picture that we have here of God working. He says, now, and very interesting, lay the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Then he says, they shall perish, but you remain. And they all are, shall wax old as doth a garment. We like to think that the world is permanent. We, the sun goes the sun go, the earth goes around the sun over and over again. The next day comes, the next day comes, and over and over again, all of these things happen. And yet, God says, they shall perish. This world will perish. And we need to understand that that, and it says, but you shall remain. Jesus will remain, even though this world perishes. And it says, they all shall wax old as does a garment. And this is the, what we see in, on this. The world is getting old. The world is falling apart. And we see this whole thing with the world falling apart in our day and age. We, we're seeing more and more diseases, more and more corruption, more and more cancers and all kinds of bad things happening because of the destruction of the DNA through the fall of man. And the fall of man create, hurt all of the creation. Before the, before the fall, there weren't storms like, that we have now. There weren't, there weren't all the death and fires and destructions and all of that other stuff that happens. All of this happens because of the fall of man, that the very earth was cursed because man fell. That's hard to believe what power we had at that time. God created man and made him ruler of all things in this world. And when he fell, all that... All that he had rule over fell with him. And we don't understand the fullness of that fall because we do not understand what it was like to be perfect. We don't understand what it was like to, to have this perfect world. But he says, all of this is going to wax old. He says, and as a vestige shall you fold them up and they shall be changed, but you are the same and your years shall not fall. So here we have the picture of it. God says, this world is going to be changed. I'm going to make a new world. I'm going to fold up the old, and I'm going to make a new one. But he says, but they shall change, but you are the same, and your years shall not fail. What a beautiful picture. Jesus does not fail. He does not have a problem with anything. He never changes, and that is a good news for us. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And we need to fully understand that. Too many times we think somehow God has changed and has new rules and new ideas and all these other things. And we need to fully understand that God never changes. He will never be different. His love for us is the same today and yesterday and tomorrow. Somehow, we oftentimes will get to this point where we think that God's love for us changed when we got saved. But God loved us so much that even before we were saved, he loved us completely. God does not love us more because we get saved. He does not love us less if we don't get saved. He loves us perfectly. Now, that he will bring judgment upon those who reject him. He will bring 
discipline to those who are disobedient, but his love for us is perfect and constant, and he does not change in that love. When people stand before God at the white throne judgment and they're going to be sent into hell because they rejected Christ, God still loves his people that are being cast into hell. And because that's what they chose. They chose to reject Jesus and they're going to get what they chose, but God still loves them and it'll bring pain to him to have to reject them and send them to hell for eternity. Hell was created for the angels, the fallen angels, not for man. And yet men will have to go there because of their sin. And then he goes, in verse 13, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. None of the angels are told to sit at the right hand. That belongs to the son. And this is very important. The, the servants do not have a position of leisure. They are servants. The angels are ministering servants to God. They are not his child they're not to be freed up and so here we have this beautiful picture that god gives us of all of this going on and why does it happen because god loves us and he says jesus is going to be seated at the right hand of the father the side of approval he's been approved by the father and he's going to sit at the right hand of god for eternity as he works out on this this is, is from Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says that they will be made into his footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who have been heirs of salvation? Yeah, they are all not, and they, are they not all ministering spirits? Yes, the word on here is that angels are the ministering spirits, and they're sent forth to minister to, for them who shall be the heirs of salvation. The heirs of salvation are us, the children of God, the ones that have been adopted into his family because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The angels do not get redemption. They fell knowing what they were doing, and man can be redeemed, which is one of those things the angels don't fully understand. It tells us they look at us in amazement. How could we have failed and still be redeemed and brought back to God? It is something that is hard for them to understand. It's even hard for us to understand when you really think about it. What reason would God have to redeem us? He is righteous. He is holy. He has every right to be able to kill us off because of our sin. And yet Jesus died so that God could forgive us. What a amazing thought of work that God has done. Jesus died for us, not that we deserved it, because we don't, not that we can even earn it, we can't. It is a gift of grace when we accept Jesus Christ and we look forward to what he's doing and seek after him with all of our heart. We're gonna end here because I'm running out of, out of strength and we're also at the end of the chapter. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've done for us. Hopefully anybody listening to this will get to know that you are preeminent. You are the Savior. You are the one that brings us to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. 
In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.